What a joy to welcome you to this hour of prayer and praise and the preaching and meditation on God's Word. A time of blessing and refreshing for those who know and love the Lord. And I trust you'll join us as we we read God's Word together, as we study and meditate on God's Word, and as we rejoice in the blessings of God upon the ministry of our church, even in these days. Our verse has always been and will continue to be, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. There's a great God in heaven that is awaiting our response to him. Let's turn our hearts toward him in this hour and find from him that joy and that blessing that only comes from him. Now, a very interesting scripture lesson for today. And uh, it, it involves attitude, attitude toward God. Uh, who needs repentance? Is it somebody else or is it me? Uh, there was an old spiritual that was written years ago, not the deacon, not the preacher, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. So I hope that very carefully and very thoughtfully you'll read along in your Bibles as Pastor Pelletier leads us in the scripture reading from Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, and he'll be reading the first 14 verses there. Luke's Gospel, chapter 18, through verse 14. Luke 18, 1 through 14, two parables this morning. And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by, any, or lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith. And shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, Shall he find faith on the earth? And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee, and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased. And he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. May God bless the reading of his word. As I 
prepare this series of messages, every time I attempt to move on to the next page of notes, I come on things in my daily Bible reading that just tie in so nicely that I find myself wanting to go back and uh, do the whole thing over again. Won't do the whole thing over again, but let's do some review, and I'm going to just pause and park for a little while on one or two issues that we have spiritually in our own lives and our relationship with trusting God, with knowing who God is, what God is doing, and uh, entrusting Him implicitly uh, with our lives, uh, with the history of, of our own families, our own personal lives, our own nation, if you please. We must trust God in these days. Um, I just love that text in Scripture. Thanks be to God who always literally leads us on in a procession of triumph in Christ Jesus and makes manifest the savor of his knowledge, the sweet-smelling savor of his knowledge by us in every place. It's interesting as we walk with God through history, uh, we will find ourselves just making not only a sweet perfume in the nostrils of God, but in society itself there will be a profound impact by a people not troubled, but at peace with God and with man in the midst of wicked and difficult days and circumstances. So uh, may the Lord just encourage our hearts in these days how to live and minister in an aggressively pagan age. And I think that describes the day in which we are living. It's not only aggressive, but evangelistic. You either convert or else. It is not possible as a Christian to live triumphantly without a personal knowledge of God and a movable foundation of life. It is not a fleshly foundation. It is not something, I am this and you don't dare challenge me and I'm right. And No, it is the fact that God is God and there is a God. And that God is real. And He is God. And there's no question about that. And, and nothing, else, nothing else matters except God in, in the ultimate outcome of everything. So, living and ministering this day, you must have an unmovable foundation. There, you must be not blown about by every wind that comes along. Circumstances cannot determine our attitudes. Hear me. Circumstances must not determine our attitudes, our thought processes. Uh, our emotional stability. Wow! If we if we if we if we are if we're tied into circumstances, we 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 will have split personalities. We'll be moved all over the place because our circumstances are moving very quickly in every direction. There must be a direct personal knowledge of God, and not a knowledge about God. So much, I know about the Baptists, I, and I hear about the Methodists and the Presbyterians and the others. But let me, let me say to you that, that so many people have a knowledge about God, but a personal knowledge of God with a personal relationship with God, which is the second part of that. So many people do not have. So many people, this is what, this is what really burdens the heart of a pastor he has people that are coming, and their knowledge of God is secondhand. Now, a pastor is to teach the knowledge of God. That is true. 
but your real knowledge of God comes with your own one-on-one -on -one personal walk with God. And my question is, what do you have as, as regards a personal one-on-one -on -one relationship with God in walking with God? Through every circumstance of life, there must be a personal relationship with God. Enoch walked with God. Noah walked with God. And they lived in an aggressively pagan culture, very, very wicked. In fact, I don't think we've seen anything near the depths of wickedness that Enoch saw or Noah. I might be wrong, but I don't think we have. So these men walked with God. We've got to be anchored in the Word of God, which is the only inspired, divinely inspired record that we have in this world. The Bible is unique. Brother Abube is, is uh, on this subject and dealing with it effectively. And uh, there is no other anchor or rock like the Word of God. It gives us the answers to life and to death, origins, meaning of life, who we are, etc. It's the only authentic uh, source of information about our existence. It is truth to be proclaimed we, we read in it how God created the heavens and the earth, and these earth and these heavens being initially not chaotic, but without form and void, formless and void, darkness over the surface of the deep. And God took this, God took this initial creation, and then day by day, six, through six days, he formed and ordered beautiful, wonderful creation. He formed a cosmos out of a chaos with plan and purpose and design. One of the most thrilling verses I know of in the Bible is in Isaiah 40. Uh, there are, we know, over, over a trillion galaxies now. That is, that is the scientific world is asserting this. And uh, over a trillion galaxies, each, each one having oh, at least probably 10 billion stars. But in Isaiah 40, God has given a name to every star. Now, I don't know where he gets all those names. I have no idea. That's a lot of names. But the word name there, these give them names, means they have identity. Every one of these stars has an identity. It has a plan and it has a divine purpose. Wow. Everybody who has ever lived in the heart and mind of God has an identity and a plan and a divine purpose if they will come into it through Jesus Christ because of the sin problem. So now there is a created order. And then there is not only a mechanical universe of stars and galaxies and a world with an ecosystem and all kinds of biological things going on, uh, but there is, there is a breathing plan to this thing. When God made Adam and Eve, they were dead bodies initially, and they were. This is don't listen carefully. Don't don't read wrong things into what I'm saying. God took the dust of the earth and He made a body, and that body was a dead body. It had no life. It had no life. And then God breathed into the nostrils of man the breath of life, and man then became a living being. So there are what we call the ages, that's the history, that's what takes place in time, that's God at work, and that's divine purpose and plan. These are the happenings of the works of God 
in this mechanical universe. It's the software that makes the hardware have meaning and work. It's God's programming for the universe. And by the way, if you're not in on that program, what do you have? Except your own inventions and you try to figure it out and you live and breathe and eat and, and then you die and for what? Who knows? So, so many people are living in this meaningless, in this meaningless hardware. They have no software. They, they have nothing to tie them into the living reality and the meaning of life and the message of God and his word. So we have God's plan for the ages. God created not only the heavens and the earth, but he created the ages. That is the time framework in which all of this takes place and the plan and the purpose of it all. Hebrews 11 tells us the ages were framed, that is, were outfitted, they were prepared, they were equipped, uh, fully, fully put together and designed for divine purpose by the word of God. So that what you're living in... You can't explain by what you can see with your eye. That's the scientific world, if you please. That's why science comes up so short. They're telling us today we need to live by the science. No, we need to live by the God who made science. Mm -hmm. Big, big difference, if you please. So uh, we went on and uh, we talked about the Jewish believers living in very difficult times, and we're living in difficult times. No, no difference. And uh, so they, they had many questions. Uh, how, how does all of this fit into the plan and purpose of God? Things were going badly for them, and put the word badly there in quotes. Uh, how could uh, these things happening to them be reconciled to their belief in the sovereignty and goodness of God? We look at our nation today and around the world, we say, how can this all be reconciled to our belief in the sovereignty and goodness of God? And how could they justify the suffering and misery that been, had been brought into their lives? I don't know that you justify it. You explain it because sin came into the picture. Now hear me. God's not the author of all of this stuff. This thing came in because Adam and Eve made a decision. And they handed over the reins of their lives and their kingdom as, as, as rulers of this world, of the things of this world. Read Genesis 1 about that and Genesis 2 and 3. They handed it over to the wicked one, and the wicked one has made this mess. And you know who the wicked one blames it on? He blames it all on God. Mm -hmm. And it's what he has done. So we went and we talked about God's plan in human history. We spent a bit of time on Daniel and the and Nebuchadnezzar and the great image and how, how that, that God is in charge of human history completely. And so... Um, Daniel saw this great image, the head of gold and, and so on, all the way down to the feet, partly clay and partly iron. And uh, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true. Its interpretation is trustworthy. God is in charge of human history, period, end of statement. He will reward a nation that honors him, that loves him, and he will judge nations that do not. And uh, we, we talked about in Daniel 4 his sovereignty that God bestows on the kingdom of man who, to whomever he will he setteth up over it the basest of men or the lowliest of men. And uh, so Nebuchadnezzar realized in the end 
that uh, that the great God of heaven was in charge of things. I love that verse at the end of chapter 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt the king, the king of heaven, for all his works are truth, uh, true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those that walk in pride. Boy, did he learn that. Now, someone reminded me that I didn't uh, do much with point number seven, so let's stop there for a moment, and then we want to move on and tie some other things in here. I beg of you, brethren, I beseech of you, brethren, by the mercies, that's the compassions of God, you as a believer need to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable, that's logical service of worship. Be not conformed. Do not allow yourself to be poured into the mold of this world, but be completely changed and transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's your thought processes. In order that you might prove or demonstrate in reality what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So when God created the ages, he had a plan for your life and for my life. Now, whether we enter into that plan or not, that's our decision. That is our decision. Um, I'm reminded of the dear lady who was getting up in years, and she was worried about getting a husband. So she tried, and she just, she just, nothing worked out, and she was getting worried. And so she went to the pastor, and she said to the pastor, Now, look, I, I've, been, I've been praying. I, I want, I, I've been looking for a husband. He pastor said, you know, well, God has a plan. You know, one woman for one man, one man for one woman. And she said, Pastor, she said, uh, and, and he said to her, he said, you know, you can't improve on that plan. And she said, Pastor, I, I don't want to improve on it. I just want to get in on it. <laughs> so so now the problem is that, that so many Christians live their whole Christian life in, in a morally good way but never without a personal sense of divine purpose and divine plan. Now, this is tremendously important. God did not just throw you out into, into uh, a chaos and, and expect that you're going to get through this somehow. He, he created you with purpose and with plan. There's a, there's, there's a role in life and in ministry and in service that you have been created to fill. And he said, you need to give yourself to that plan and to that purpose. John emphasizes the fact that the world does pass away, and the passions of this world, they all pass away. They just go on away. But the one that does the will of God literally is remaining into the ages. The one who does the will of God abides forever. His life is permanent. All of your life should be lived in permanency. You say, oh, I'm doing a second. No, there's no secular thing to a Christian. Everything you do should be done in the will of God as ministry, as the ministry to which God has called you. And there needs to be a sense of divine purpose, not enduring a job, not just living through your life meaninglessly, hap haphazardly. And your, your, your daily work, your daily life, needs to be done with a sense of divine plan and divine purpose. And if you, treat your, if you treat your daily life that way, whether it's your home life or whether it's your church life or whether it's your business life, if you treat your life that way, everything you do will be done on a higher plane.
and with higher purpose and higher motive. It will all be ministry. It's ministry at home. It's ministry at church. It's ministry at work. All of life consumed in doing the will of God. You, you are to have software plugged into your hardware. So many of you are like a computer running with no software, no divine direction. And so we, we, need, we, need, to, we need to be living in, in the light of that. And how are we going to minister in a pagan age and by the way, the, 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 our pagan friends, and I, I hope that, that, that you will do your best uh, to befriend and to minister to those who are not saved. And our, 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 pagan, our pagan friends need help and they need ministry. Uh, they, they don't need our condemnation. They, they, need, they need our compassion. They need our gospel. They need our prayers. They need our love. They are in need of all of this. So as we're walking in this pagan, no way, it's not just ours to survive with our money intact and our house intact and our family intact and the American dream intact. Listen, let's give this American dream to God and let him do with it what he wants. Let's give our lives to God for divine purpose. And those two things don't, sometimes don't, don't come together. Now, God is in charge. Boy, did Nebuchadnezzar find that out. He was probably one of the greatest kings in world history. Ruthless. Ruthless. He left a trail of, of, of blood and destruction, disaster behind him in order to build a great kingdom. And Babylon, that great city, one of the greatest cities uh, that has ever been built. Uh, absolutely an amazing, an amazing fortress, but amazing in its palaces and its artistry, architecture, amazing in its civilization, just absolutely amazing. And he was walking one day in, in, in his palace saying, look at what I've done. And God said, all right, away you go. In seven years, he went out into the wilderness like an animal, like a wild animal. And God showed him that he was not God, but that God was God. And God, God said, now I'm in charge of the kingdoms of the world. After you, I'm going to set up another kingdom. After you, after that, another kingdom. After that, another kingdom. And in the end, a kingdom that's going to be from God, from heaven. A great stone that comes out of nowhere, crushes everything in its way. And there's a kingdom, an eternal kingdom that will be set up. God is in charge of what's going on in our country. And I want to come back there again. Mm -hmm. God's in charge. Now hear me. Hear me. God, it is not democracy that's in charge of our country. It is God who's in charge of our country. Should I stop there for a little bit? We've got to resolve the issue that God sets up whom he will. He rules over the kingdom of men. It doesn't matter politically what you do. It matters how God disposes of what you do. And God has the right to dispose in his... Wow, maybe he ought to call us up and ask for our wisdom. <laughs> that might please us well. Huh? What do you think? <laughs> but God has the right to dispose of our works, of our prayers, of all that we do in life. God has the right to dispose of this as... He will, as he will. Now, having said that, I want to go to the parable, the first parable that Pastor Pelletier 
read about in the scriptures today. And I want you to notice on page 5 of the notes, and I hope that you have the notes, page 5 of the notes at the top of the page, there will be no peace or joy in your heart and mind unless you are personally confident in God's character and in God's works. And there will be no stability or power in your life. Now, what is God like? Does God ever, and we, we had a whole series on, on the greatness of God. And we said that everything that God is, I am that I am, all of God's attributes are, are at work at the same time in everything that God does. You say, well, I see, I see a demonstration of God's power. That's his attribute of power. But God never exercises his power apart from his love and his justice and his wisdom. Never. God never loves apart from his attribute of justice and mercy and tenderness and power. Every attribute of God is exercised in the full exercise of all the other attributes. God can't make a mistake in anything he does. God is never too powerful. He is never too gentle. He's never too just. He's never too merciful. There's a total balance, all the attributes of God working together. And as God works in the history of our city, San Francisco, of our nation, the USA, in the history of this world, even in the history of China, where we have a boastful dictator who boasts he's going to be the ruler of the world, basically, in ten years. That's his goal. That's his goal. He's like Nebuchadnezzar. And he makes his boasts. But there will be no peace or joy in our hearts or minds unless we are confident in God's character and in God's works. And there will be no stability or power in our lives. Now let's read through the parable, okay? Let's get in mind what he's talking about here. There's a parable, and, and the reason, or the, the goal of the parable, really the content of the parable is this. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. They're not to lose heart. In the New American Standard it says lose heart. The Greek means they're not to give in to evil. All right? We are living in an evil age, and God's people are very troubled by it. He was telling them a parable so that everybody, at all times they ought to do what? Gripe, complain, they ought to be uh, uh, signing up on petitions, and I'm not against that. Do that if you want. But at all times, the first thing you ought to do before you ever sign that petition, you need to make sure you've prayed. Because it's prayer that's going to make the difference. At all times, they ought to pray and not to give in to evil, not to lose heart, okay? So there's this certain city, and there's this judge. He doesn't fear God. God has no place in his life, and he doesn't... He doesn't respect man. He doesn't regard or respect man. And there's a widow, the most helpless and, and, and the most to, to be disregarded persons in that city, a widow. She has no political clout. She has nothing she can do to hurt this judge. She has no, she has no political influence. She has no, she has no uh, contacts or connections. And she keeps coming to him because she has somebody that has been abusing her. Give me legal protection. Literally, the Greek word is justice. Give me justice from my opponent. 
Give me justice for my opponent. Get away, she's just a bother to him. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out, literally give me blows on the eye. She's going to give me a black eye. I can't take this any longer. She's not going to give up. She keeps coming, she keeps coming, she keeps coming, she keeps coming, she keeps coming. Now, of course, he is not a good judge. He is a wicked judge. And uh, he's an unrighteous judge. Justice is nothing to him. He makes his decisions for very arbitrary reasons. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, now watch. Here is what Jesus is teaching. Will not God bring about justice for his elect? who cry to him day and night. And will he delay, that means have great patience, long over them. Now I remember, because as, as Pastor Kelly reminded you, I'm 150 years old, 151 <laughs> years old. And really, if you want to know, it's 81. Uh, but but I, I can remember the days of the Soviet Union. The oppression there was horrific. Men and women thrown in prison camps and beaten to death and starved to death. The, the millions of people killed, uh, killed uh, for, the, uh, for the reasons of the communist government there. I can remember that. And I can remember the prayers of God's people around the world for these people. Now, in China, it's bad, but not nearly as bad as it was there, although some there, there are those who are in prison and those who are being abused. And so, will God ever bring them justice? And for years they prayed. Will God be patient with, their, with, with the wrongdoing? For years, I, I don't know how you explain all of this. But I do know that the Soviet Union collapsed. Mm -hmm. I know that. And may I say to you, and I don't know anything from God's word, I'm not preaching a prophetic message. If things are true to form and if God is true to his word, the Chinese government is going to collapse before it's all over. This, the, the, look, God is God. Amen. The premier in China is not God. God is God. And so, but how long is it going? We don't know how long this will be. Will we face some of the same things in America? We don't know that. We have no idea what we are looking at. But, the, but this parable is given to show that at all times, always, men are to pray and not to give in to evil. Never quit praying. Now, on what basis do we pray? All right? Look at verse number 6. The Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now, will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, let me insert something here, and then we'll come to the last statement of this parable. In the book of Revelation, it is a very, there's a very interesting phenomenon. There are bowls. There are bowls in the book of Revelation that are filled with the prayers of the saints. 
Evidently, the bowls were continually filling up because the prayers of the saints continually were going up before God. This is during the tribulation period of time, seven-year period of tribulation. And, and so the, the, the bowls contain the prayers of the saints, but you will notice the prayers of the saints go into the bowls, and God does nothing. Ah, uh-huh. put that in quotes. And he seemingly does nothing, and he seemingly does nothing, and he seemingly does nothing until the right time. Until divine purpose has been accomplished. And then you find that the bowls are being poured out, and when the bowls of the prayers of the saints are poured out, the wrath of God is poured out from heaven. Listen, when the prayers are in the bowls, the wrath will always follow, but we don't know when or how. Now, did you get that? The prayers always go into the bowls, but God does not empty the bowls out until His time, His place, until the time of His plan and the time of His purpose. Now, verse number 8 again. I tell you, God will bring about justice for them quickly. However, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? This doesn't mean faith for salvation. This is, in the Greek text, it has an article, will he find the faith, and and the, the article always identifies. And so, basically, the last verse says this. When the Son of Man comes, is he going to find anybody who has enough confidence in him that he hasn't quit praying for the justice of God and believing that it's going to come? All right? So I want to ask you, when you pray against the wickedness of the day, and God doesn't judge that wickedness the next day or the next day or the next week or the next month, do you stop praying and figure out that God is not concerned? You see, it is impossible that God could not be concerned about justice. Back up on that one. It is impossible that God could not be concerned about justice. Absolutely impossible. It's impossible, now, This I'm going to go a little further. It's impossible that God could not be more concerned about justice than you and I are. What do you think? What do you think? Now, what are we going to do in America? What are we going to do in San Francisco? What are we going to do when God allows wickedness to go on and seemingly increase and seemingly exponentially to increase. And by the way, there'd be no tribulation if that didn't happen ultimately. Okay? There'd be no Antichrist if that didn't happen ultimately. All right? But the sovereignty of God doesn't cease with the beginning of the reign of Antichrist. You say, what is the divine purpose I don't think you and I have a clue, and I don't think if God told us we'd have a clue. I have no idea. I simply know that God informs us that because of what happened in the Garden of Eden, this thing is going to grow until there is a kingdom of Satan under the rule of Antichrist in this world, and our Lord Jesus Christ is going to come back and put an end to all of this. How do we fit in here? We fit in here by reading the New Testament taking the Great Commission to heart and doing what God put us in this world to do. He did not put us in this world to save the world. He put us in this world to announce the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he put us here. So, when the Son of Man comes, 
How much confidence is he going to, how much confidence do you see in the hearts of believers? How much confidence? Will he find this kind of confidence in God? Will he find the faith? Will he find this, this, this confidence in the justice of God? That's basically the issue when he says the faith. It's confidence in the justice of God. Will he find it? That's the question. And will he find it in your heart? And will he find it in my heart? That is the question. You and I can go on as Christians in the USA in 2021, knowing that a sovereign God is in charge of everything and that none of our works that are done for him, whether we do them in our home, whether we do them in our workplace, whether we do them in our neighborhood, nothing that's done for God will be lost. He is a God of absolute justice. No right work, no prayer will ever go unheard. He puts them in his bowls. Let's fill the bowls of God up and then let's get busy for God. That's what we need to be doing in this day and in this age. Now, as I was reading in my Bible reading this week, I added number nine to the notes. A very undesirable second best can result from this lack of confidence in God. And we need to ask ourselves as believers the hard questions. In Numbers 20, verse number 1, Then the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month. And the people stayed at Kadesh. Now, Miriam died there and was buried there. There was no water for the congregation. They assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and spoke, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into this wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us to this wretched place? It's, it is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. Then Moses and Aaron came in from the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation, and, notice, speak to the rock. I've underlined that in a darker text. Speak to the rock before their eyes, that it may yield its water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beasts drink. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the Lord. And he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came forth abundantly, and the congregation of the beasts drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you have not believed me to treat me as holy. Now notice, in the sight of the sons of Israel, this was a witness and testimony. Therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Those were the waters of Merib, because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and he proved himself holy among them. From Kadesh, Moses then sent uh, messengers to the kingdom of Eden. Thus your brother Israel has said, you know all the hardship that has befallen us. Now this is amazing. This is amazing. Moses got 
in the flesh and in anger. I want to ask you, as you look at the wickedness about you, is there a fleshly anger? And if there is, deal with it. How are we going to win the loss for Christ? How are we going to carry out the Great Commission if we are angry people? Mm-hmm. How are we going to do that? Mm-hmm. It's not possible. The, 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 the letter kills, but the Spirit gives light. Right. And we have got to be so careful about our emotions in these days. Speak to the rock. Moses could have said, water, come forth. Water, come forth. But he took his rod, and of course God honored the need of the people for the water. That he did. But Moses blew it. And he got a second vest from God. Because he was not willing to be confident in the justice, of, to, to let God take care of the problem of the moment. He took it into his own hands. And we've got to be so careful how we deal with the issues of our day and of our time. It might be we need to speak to the rock. It might be that we need to be speaking the message of salvation. Go into all the world. Declare and proclaim the gospel, Jesus said. He gave us, he gave us as we go, make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or practice all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am always with you. I'm with you always, even unto the end of the age, this time of God's plan and purpose for our lives. So, we have, we must, we must, we focus on the virus, we focus on the politics, we focus on everything. But our emotional energy needs to be focused on the need of mankind for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Apostle Paul said the answer is preach the word. Beyond the ready, be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering, all patience and doctrine, all teaching. We are to have patience with sinners in the midst of all of this. And we need to be praying and not fainting. We don't give in to, 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 to evil, but we, but we pray, but we pray with utter and absolute confidence, not one of our prayers will ever be lost. Not one of our prayers will ever be ignored. You see, God didn't... Oh, listen, listen. God doesn't work like man works. (laughs) As the heavens are higher than the earth, my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts than your thoughts. God is a very wise God. Can I ask you a question? Where would you and I be if God had no more patience with us than we have with the wicked? Where would you and I be? May God just touch our hearts today. May he fill us new and fresh with the Holy Spirit of God. May he give us a new confidence in his word, in his promise, in his character, in his works, in his justice. May God encourage our hearts. Thanks 
the unto God, who always leads us on in triumph in Christ Jesus, and makes manifest in us the sweet savor of the gospel. It's just absolutely amazing, the works of God. As you read the Bible, that's why it's important. Read the Old Testament as well as the New. And you put them all together. You put them all together. And you learn, God wasn't in a hurry. Nebuchadnezzar then came the, 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 the Greek Empire and so on. Just one empire. Oh, it's the Medo-Persian Empire, then the Greek Empire. One empire after another. Finally, Jesus Christ came. God came in flesh. And then he ascended to heaven and he's coming back, but we know not when. But we need to be people who have confidence in God. When Jesus comes back again, will he find anybody here that really believes that God is a just God? Wow. Wow. What a question. What a question. Let's take it personally today.